Today is the 20th day of July, 2023, and welcome again to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer, a retiree. I help Chapter 49 out with some communications issues. We're very happy you've chosen to spend some of your valuable time with us today. And we also welcome Duncan Giles, our chapter president, back to the podcast. Welcome back, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here with you. And I'm still kind of thinking about our last podcast. For those who weren't with us last week, we have been looking forward to this and been working on scheduling. Scheduling is always difficult when you're dealing with the national president of 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 a union. And we finally got uh, Tony Reardon to come on and do a final podcast with us. He's done several with us, and he's always been very generous with his time and and, uh, uh, getting with us and talking with us. And I thought it was really interesting, some of the things that he had to say. His plans, uh, once he does retire, once he walks out of that convention floor in August, uh, he will be done with that job. And he does have some plans to move back to to move back to move to North Carolina. I think he'll be close to his daughter, who's in college. And of all things, wants to be a play-by-play sports announcer, which I gave him some advice on. I think he's done a little bit of it, but I had my baptism of fire when I did that, and it was a long time ago, nineteen seventy, I think it was, when I had my baptism baptism of fire and failed miserably in my first uh, play-by-play effort and then figured out, okay, there's another way to do this. I better do it right this time. But but he's got some great plans. He should be proud of the work that he's done. And I think the one thing that struck me, Duncan, is that, you know, during his time as uh, the national president, obviously you have disputes. There are some people you're going to make decisions that some people uh, are going to take issue with. But I think he was very moved by the fact that you really, after all this and the times the two of you have worked together on, on a number of issues, that, you know, you considered him to be a friend. And that seemed to be very important to him. I think it's important to both of us. Um, I've known Tony uh, for a very, very long time, back before he was president or even vice president of NTU when he was the operations manager. Um, and we became close then. And he's just, he is just overall a great guy. I mean, he really is. His whole family is great. Is, you know, talked, had conversations with his dad. His wife, Dawn, is a fantastic lady, great kids. He's, he's just a wonderful guy, big sports fan. So him wanting to go into sports casting does not surprise me in the least. Um, and it's, it's going to be very, I'm, I'm very happy for Tony to be able to go out the way he wants to go out. But it's, you know, it's absolutely bittersweet for me that I'm not going to be able to, you know, email my friend regularly or contact him if something goes up or give him a heads up or just have a conversation about football. Well, yeah, and I, I think he kind of misses following sports. When you're a national president, you're traveling a lot, you have a tremendous workload and a lot of uh, pressure on you. And I think he kind of I'm going to kind of look forward. I'm going to look forward to following sports more closely than he had in the past. And I understand how that is. So we wish him well. We're very, very happy and, and honored that he chose to join us for that uh, podcast last week. And uh, and we'll uh, go, begin the new era in August of a new national president. We'll we'll hopefully get a chance to talk to her once uh, she's uh, officially takes the job and gets her uh, feet on the ground in that job. 
So I bet you we'll be able to do that. <laughs> we've had her. We've had her on as as the national vice president and she, executive vice president, and she was very kind to give us time there. And uh, she's a great guest. I love the way she uh, she banters. She she has uh, a great uh, she she has, has, has a great way of communicating. Let's put it that way. Well, speaking of communicating, we that's what our job is here on this podcast, and we have several issues to discuss. I want to start off with something we don't talk about much. I went back, what, three years ago or so when we started this podcast. All we talked about was COVID because COVID was at its height, and we were all, I mean, the government was dealing with it, IRS was dealing with it, the whole society was dealing with COVID, and it was a, it was a tough situation to deal with. We all know that. But what I would like to, to, to ask you about is, is something that's recently officially happened and what the ramifications will be. This has to do with the old requirement that I understand it is no longer there for COVID vaccinations. That rule has been rescinded. But there are some issues that are going to be related to that. So tell me how that's all uh, coming out if you can. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, the executive order on, um, you know, making sure that federal employees in the executive branch got COVID vaccination has been lifted. So what does that mean? Well, first off, if you um, are coming into the federal government, you do not, you are not required to get a COVID vaccination. Me being me, I think it's a good idea for folks to get things like COVID and flu vaccinations, but that's just me. I like, you know, common sense type things but you're not required to. Now, the thing that I think is going to be interesting in the coming uh, weeks and months, if not sooner, is going to be now that the uh, COVID emergency, as they called it, the legal emergency is over, there are an awful lot of people out there on reasonable accommodations due to COVID. You know, they couldn't come into the office at all due to COVID. And now are they going to be called back in full-time or to the extent of their regular telework agreement based on this emergency now being over. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with that. So do we know as a union uh, what's likely to happen on that? <laughs> okay, so you're asking for logic and advanced planning. Uh, is that is that what being shared with us? Is that what you're asking, Larry? Um, how silly of you. Um, no, they haven't told us squat. And the reason, to be honest with you, that I think they haven't told uh, National NTU anything is the fact that they don't, IRS doesn't know yet how they want to handle it. They realize that they are going to have to deal with this. They've got this issue. It's, you know, COVID as a national emergency is over. So now how do you deal with the fallout from this and start to get back to whatever normal is? And so I think until they've come up with a definite plan, they can't share that with uh, NTEU. So how does NTEU feel that it should be handled? Uh, properly, equitably. Um, I mean, there are going to be still people with reasonable accommodation issues, uh, be it COVID-related or not COVID-related. And those are going to have to be worked. But if it's something that said, okay, I can't come in due to my immune system because I may get COVID. That's going to be an issue that's going to, you know, have to be resolved. And it might involve more documentation. I think the folks that deal with reasonable accommodations are going to have to take a close look at basically almost all, if not all, of the ones they have 
or ask that they be resubmitted to uh, for a reasonable accommodation based on the fact that there is no more COVID emergency. So I think that there are a lot of moving parts to this that the IRS hasn't gotten a handle on yet. I think yeah, I've mentioned before that uh, I do um, do some podcasts and the news reporting in my local community as a volunteer blogger and podcaster. And I interviewed our public health director for Fishers, Indiana, just the other day. And she indicated that there will be COVID and flu vaccines available in the fall. And that, you know, there's a national decision as to what needs to go into that. You know, what what variants of uh, COVID will be attacked in the in the uh, in that vaccine. And with flu, there are various types of flu. What types of flu are going to be in that vaccine? So that's all being done now. And uh, so for those of you who do want vaccines, as I understand it, they should be available in the fall. September, October is the most likely time. So just... Uh, so, you know, if you want to plan ahead, you can do that. Are you still able to get uh, some time off for vaccines in the contract? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that when we uh, sat down with them in person in D.C. a few years ago, uh, we hammered this out. Actually, two years ago this summer, we hammered this particular thing out because we wanted to make sure that if the COVID became like a flu, that we were able to get time for employees to go ahead and get those shots just like they're able to get flu shots. Time to get flu shots. So, yeah, that is still in the contract and still is going to be it. I give a lot of credit uh, to our former VP, uh, Jim Bailey, Ken Moffat, and uh, our current national VP, Doreen Greenwald, who are the spearhead of our uh, our negotiations teams. And I'll even give Lori McCann and... Uh, the other chapter presidents a lot of credit for making sure that this gets done because this is something that's very important to us is public health and employees health is you know at the forefront of NTU we want to make sure that everybody is as healthy as they can be and so we wanted to make sure that this was still in the contract uh, if it became as it has now something that's going to be seasonal like the regular influenza shot you know Duncan uh you just mentioned telework, and uh, you worked hard on the telework provisions in the new contract. Uh, we still, uh, as a union, have negotiated a contract with N- with the IRS and NTU as to how telework is going to be handled. Now, the, if you're watching the news or following the news, you're hearing a lot from Congress, certain members of Congress, not all by any means, Wanting people to get back into the office and no longer, some of them say, don't even work at home at all. You are to work in the office every day. You're hearing <laughs> rhetoric like that. But explain it. Let's, let's, let's talk about IRS here. The other agencies have contracts as well with NTEU and other unions. But uh, we have uh, at NTEU a contract with IRS. Uh, and the most recent contract uh, that you negotiated with your team uh, calls for an expansion of telework as far as the number of positions that are covered by it. So when you hear this rhetoric about everybody in the federal employment world is supposed to go back to the office every day, that's not necessarily true. Explain how that works. Yeah, this is one of those things where you have to look beyond the headlines or the sound bites. And what it amounts to you know, the IRS and NTEU signed a national agreement that includes telework. And that is what those provisions are going to be what's going to be ruling. Now, if Congress wants to make a change 
and, you know, pass laws, pass the House, pass the Senate, be signed by the president, then it's a different matter. But until then, and I don't anticipate that happening, you know, we're still going to be under the same telework provisions that we have been. You know, if you're a frequent teleworker, you're supposed to be in twice a pay period unless you're a mobile teleworker working in, um, you know, the zip code type thing. So, or excuse me, the commuting area. So there's no change for IRS employees. And I'm on a few uh, message boards, for lack of a better term, on certain sites that deal with federal employees and federal employee issues. And there are an awful lot of agencies out there that are calling employees back because they don't have those agreements. And those folks are not happy. And again, I get why they want to do that, especially in downtown D.C. The, you know, the businesses are suffering. They're not having the, uh, you know, offices filled like they should. So they're paying for empty space. I get all that. But for IRS, and again, I'm speaking just for IRS because I'm very familiar with our contract. There is no change for us. So unless there's a federal law passed and signed by the president, we're still going to remain the status quo the same way we are now. And it should be noted IRS has a long history with this. It was the mid-90s when we, as a union, negotiated a what was then called Flexi Place because technology had not advanced that much at the time. And at that particular point in time, it was mostly for people working in the field so they could, you know, work at home some of the time. But other employees also were able to use it, just take your work home with you. Well, once the technology advanced and we have telework where you can work at home and hooked into the office by a computer, uh, there are still agencies out there. And I think this is where a lot of this comes in. I just read an article the other day about how a lot of agencies have never budgeted for this. They've never, they just don't understand the concept of working at home in a telework situation. I think one advantage IRS and NTU have is we've been dealing with this general issue since the mid-1990s. Absolutely. So we, as you said, we have a great familiarity with it. And there's, there's an awful lot of management in government that, you know, I want to see my people. I want to be there. I want to, you know, you know, have the have these water cooler discussions and all that. That hasn't happened in the IRS in a very long time. We've got a lot of remote management, so it doesn't really make sense for us. Whereas, you know, if you've got a bunch of people that are in an office that don't do field work or and have their manager right there, perhaps I can see that. Um, but that doesn't usually happen. And uh, it's not the way that the IRS has been uh, building out and will continue probably to build out that way. So I, I give a great deal of credit to uh, Commissioner Werfel and, of course, to um, you know National President Reardon and uh, National VP Doreen Greenwald for making sure that you know we're not getting sucked into any of this noise and everybody realizes it's situation normal here for the IRS. And one last thing on telework, if you have a situation, because there has been an expansion as far as the number of positions covered by telework as a result of the contract that you and your team negotiated recently, if you have an employee that's having difficulty getting their uh, telework scheduled within the uh, provisions of the contract and the, the manager doesn't seem to be willing to work with the employee on working at home some of the time, well, what do you do as an employee? 
Uh, in that case, you're going to have to talk to uh, wherever your union is. If you're in Indiana, it would be contact a steward or officer of Chapter 49. If you're outside of Indiana, you contact your local NTU chapter so they can sit there and have a discussion with the manager. First off, we're going to take a look to make sure that you do qualify, that your position is one that can telework, that your work is such that you are um, at least fully successful, that you haven't had you know particular disciplinary issues uh, in the recent past that would perhaps bar you from telework. But aside from that, you know, you should be, you know, if you do qualify, there shouldn't, and there aren't those impediments, then you should be allowed to telework. And if you've got some old time managers who, you know, I want, I want my employees here in the office. I don't care what the contract says. Well, that's where we come in and have those discussions uh, informally or formally, however it needs to take place to make sure that the employees are getting uh, what their contractual rights are. Okay. So uh, good advice there. Let me ask about this. Uh, I've said this before. I'll say it again. There's so many people in the United States Congress who are adamant about making sure laws are observed and enforced, unless, of course, it's a tax law. So once again, we see the House Appropriations Committee has voted out a bill that would slash a billion, that's with a B, a billion dollars out of enforcement. And, uh, you know, that's it's sorely needed, yet that's still the case. Now, it's not the last word on this. It's just like the opening salvo, but it's discouraging to see this be the start of the process. Yeah, this goes back to that trope that uh, certain uh, political folks have been trotting out with the 87,000 jackbooted agents with the Inflation Reduction Act that we were going to get and things of that nature. And it's all it's all just... Uh, malarkey. Um, it's just not true. And when you start cutting things like this, you know, as, as Tony said last week, you know, we provide, the IRS provides over 95% of the money coming into the United States Treasury. And so you want to cut the enforcement part of that so you're not bringing in as much. I don't know any model, successful model of business or uh, private government uh, or government situations that could thrive on that type of thinking. It's just uh, totally, uh, as my mother, my late mother used to say, bass backwards. So you want to make sure that you have um, that type of, you know, those, those folks out there that are collecting what's owed, that are going out and auditing the folks. And we're not talking, and again, as the president made clear, when you know he was proposing the Inflation Reduction Act, these are for taxpayers making over four hundred thousand dollars. So we're not talking about going after folks who are lower income. We're talking about folks who've made a good income, who owe taxes, and for whatever reason either aren't paying them or perhaps are trying to come up with some creative ways not to pay taxes. So we need the folks that uh, are tax compliance officers and our revenue agents to go out there and make sure that they're paying, they're paying their fair share. Okay, uh, Bass Ackwards. Are we allowed to say that on a podcast? I think I think I just slipped it in. My, <laughs> I was, I was my, gonna say, if, if it's your my mother, mom's looking down at me and yeah. laughing. Well, if you, if your mother said it, okay, then it's okay. All right, that that's <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll say that's all right. There's uh, 
I want to talk about something else uh, in this podcast because I've said this before and I'll say it again. My very first job at IRS in 1983 was a supply clerk, about as low as you can get. I think it was a grade three. I couldn't even do time cards because I wasn't a four. And then became a, a control clerk and exam, took courses at night in college-level courses and was able to qualify for uh, promotions on down the line to tax law specialist and even manager later on. So uh, I, I, I'm i a believer that support staff is great to have, and sometimes that can be uh, a stepping stone to doing something better for, for an employee. So we've seen a reduction, uh, at least I did, and I think you still do at the IRS. Uh, uh, there's been a reduction in the support staff. Technology has had something to do with that. But we're seeing an increase of support staff hiring in SBSE where a lot of compliance work is done. And, and that is an encouraging sign, Duncan. It certainly is. I was so glad to see those uh, figures that they have done some hiring and they're going to continue to do hiring. And I would hope that the rest of the divisions of the IRS would follow suit because, you know, and I, I'll tell you what, uh, from Commissioner Charles Rosati on up, every commissioner I've talked to, I've talked to about this issue that, you know, we need to hire folks on the phone. We need to hire folks in TAS. We need to hire folks in compliance in LBNI. Absolutely, we need to hire those. But with those, if you're not hiring the clericals, the support staff, the IT folks to take care of it, it's just going to topple over. It's not going to be able to get the work done that we need to do. And, you know, I'm uh, going to credit Again, the uh, the current commissioner, and I'll give some credit to uh, Commissioner Reddick as well, that they started to understand that and started the ball rolling on this type of hiring. So the more support staff that we have, and it's evolved over the years how they did. You know, like you said, they're not doing time as much anymore, but there's a lot of other uh, things that they need to do that they can do, especially in places like SBSE, LBNI, and WNI. Um, and I would hope that they would continue to add more and more support staff to that to make everyone's jobs easier. Yeah, and I'm a big believer in, in support staff, and, and it really does help the professionals, the people doing the core work, the time and, and the ability to focus in on that work. And yes, we may have the technology that allows people to, to do some of those clerical types of things. That doesn't mean it's a good idea to do it. So um, great uh, Great comment. I want to, last thing I want to talk about today, maybe we'll do a little more of this. I think there are parts of our contract with IRS. Some of these provisions have been in there for a very long time, but we tend not to focus on them. I think one of the great provisions in the NTU IRS contract that's been there for a long time is the ability of employees when the uh, assessment period comes up to write their own self-assessment, submit it to the manager, and uh, and have that as part of the consideration of the, of the annual appraisal. Now, I think a lot of people don't do that and probably should. Kind of, Duncan, just uh, give people an overview of how to do it and, and why you should do it. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Larry. Nobody knows the work you're doing, including your manager, better than you do. Nobody knows that. And, you know, people are like, well, I don't like to toot my own horn or I don't like this. The way to get to make sure that you're getting the evaluation that you deserve 
is to do a self-assessment. You have time on the clock to do it. There are tutorials out there on how to do it. And, you know, if you're sitting there talking about the successes you've had over the year and how you're doing things properly, how you're following the critical job elements and things of that nature, you absolutely want to point those out to your manager. Not only will it make it better for you, but it's also easier on the manager to do your appraisal because I know there are a lot of managers who uh, will go take a look at a self-assessment that's submitted the last month of your rating period, uh, and you they'll say, okay, this is making my job a lot easier. So they incorporate a lot of that into your appraisal. So, yeah, I would absolutely urge everyone to take the time to do a self-assessment. It's very important for you to do, and it's only going to help you. Yeah, and if you feel that you need help or you want some assistance or are uh, online help, there's online help available, and you can always contact your own uh, local steward. They'll be glad to help you with that if you feel uncomfortable doing it yourself. And, hey, your manager doesn't know everything you do, and you need to kind of remind them. Manager will document a lot if they're a good manager, but that doesn't mean they do- document everything you've done. So you have to remind that manager of that, and that's a good thing to bring up at evaluation time. And it's in the contract as to the window as to when you should uh, write the self-assessment. It's a certain amount of time before your appraisal is due. Okay, Duncan, your final comment for this podcast. Yeah, mine is, again, I'm, I want to go back to, um, you know, that's something I've hit on a lot. But I also, I love to remind people this. You know, what you're doing here, the work that you're doing, is extremely important. And I am proud to be associated with each and every one of you because employees here at the IRS do a great job. But this is not your life. This is your work. Your life is your family, your friends, things of that nature. Do not let the job totally absorb you. I've seen this happen, and I don't want it to happen to anyone else. Because you're, you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, as the phrase goes, you know. It's it's not going to be how many hours you put in at work or how you did this or all that. It's how you lived your life with your family, with your friends, with your fellow human beings that's going to be important. And, you know, I've, I've fallen into that strap myself because I used to be absorbed by the job. Um, but, you know, now I spend a lot more time with my wonderful partner, Kim, uh, my great daughter uh, and son-in-law, Maddie and Travis. And, you know, those are the most rewarding things. And I've got an extremely rewarding job that I love doing and appreciate very much. But, again, it's work. It's not life. Well, Duncan, I will plead guilty. I am totally absorbed in being retired. <laughs> so I've allowed that to completely envelop my life. Now, my final comment is this, and it has to do with something that uh, Commissioner Werfel said at a hearing recently. In fact, by the way, just as a reminder, Commissioner Werfel still open the invitation. He's welcome to come on this podcast anytime. But it kind of goes back to the enforcement and some of the other things we've talked about today. Um, somebody, I can't believe this happened. Somebody on one of these committees asked Commissioner Werfel, how much does your agency spend on ammunition? And his, <laughs> his response was, well, I have to get back to you on that, but not very much. 
I think about the only time RCI agents use their ammunition is in target practice. I don't. I can't remember the last time a CI agent for IRS ever used their gun in line of duty. I, I can't even remember an example of that. It probably happens, but not very often. So, yeah, it's very rare. So you're that's that's a great example of a question that shouldn't be asked. That was a good answer the commissioner gave, by the way. Well, Duncan, thank you very much. Always great to talk to you. This is the Chapter 49 podcast. We do these as weekly as we can. And uh, we appreciate the fact, again, as I said earlier, that you have taken some of your time out of your busy day uh, to listen or watch this podcast. And uh, we try to do it weekly. We don't get every week in. Uh, July 4th weekend, we weren't... uh, there and i think uh, duncan's got a convention coming up uh, in august and we may not be recording that week because we'll both be busy with different things that week but it's uh, it's been an honor to do this podcast it's been three years plus we've been doing it i don't know duncan it's just like, like things time goes by quickly when you're having such a good time so with that in mind we thank you again for watching and listening please be safe and be kind 